You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. I'm going to make a loud Burbank welcome, and I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to cheer incredibly loud, and then go like right to where it feels awkward, and then count to five. Okay, so go like five more seconds than when it feels awkward, Okay. So every service has done this, and it's actually blown me away at how uncomfortable it tends to feel for Mike. So this is what we're going to do. Let's welcome Mike by making him feel uncomfortable. Let's do it. Nice and loud. Wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel so uncomfortable. This is, I want to take you guys, <laughs> I'm going to take you guys back with me, so, <laughs> all right, we're going to be here all day, <laughs> yeah, there we go, um, it is so, so good to be with you, I just love South Hills, I, I literally, I'm like, I got to take these guys back with me, because I, I do college ministry, and our college students do not clap. Um, not like that, um, not like anything, but it is so good to be with you, and uh, I love South Hills Church. You guys have such a phenomenal, phenomenal church that's making an impact, not just here uh, in Burbank, but all over um, the United States and beyond, and it is so fun to be a part of this church, um, even for this weekend, and so you have, Pastor Dave is incredible, and he's just brought together such a great staff, so you guys are really blessed to be a part of such a great church. But uh, in case you missed it, my name is Mike Brook, and uh, I'm, I work out at a church in Orange County uh, called Saddleback Church, and I've been in ministry for about 16 years. Um, I'm married, and I have two kids. Here's a picture of my family. My wife's name is Kristen. We were high school sweethearts. Um, we have pictures from prom and all that stuff together. Um, we've actually been together for 19 years, but celebrated 14 years of being married. And my two kids, the seven-year-old is Hallie Jane, and then the younger one is Zoe Ryan, and they are the sweetest. And you can imagine in a house full of girls, there's a lot of pretend makeovers. Um, I'm wearing nail polish sometimes, and we play with dolls. So um, all the manly stuff is, is in there. So it's so great to be with you. And I just want to start out by sharing... Um, uh, a little bit about my family growing up. I didn't grow up in a house that had a lot of money. I'm the oldest of five kids. I have two younger brothers and two younger sisters. And so my dad was a very blue-collar kind of worker. He worked at a machine shop. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And so we just never grew up with a lot of money. And I think one of the most stressful seasons for my parents was always back-to-school season. Like, because all of a sudden, and some of you parents are nodding your head going, yes, that is like, it is, because all of a sudden you got to buy back to school clothes and shoes and supplies and backpacks, and it's just an expensive season. So I knew my parents were always stressed out right around back to school time. And I remember one year I was going into seventh grade. And my parents took us out. We'd buy some, like, generic shirts or something like off-brand pants or shoes or something like that. But one year, my seventh grade year, we were at the store, and I found this pair of Vans. And I was like, I got to have these pair of Vans. And so I remember I turned to my mom, 
And I was like, Mom, I've got to have this pair of Vans. And she was like, we can't afford it. There's absolutely no way. And I did what I needed to do in seventh grade, which is beg. Like, I started to plead and beg, Mom, i got to have these. I'll do the dishes for a month. I'll mow the lawn for a month. I'll clean my room for the rest of my life. Like, whatever it takes to get my vans. Like, I just want these vans. And I did enough begging and pleading and manipulating that finally my mom looked at me and she said, Okay, you can have the vans keep buying you new pairs of these so make sure you take care of them and so I remember when I went home and opening up the box and that smell of brand new shoes like the smell of the fresh rubber in those shoes and I remember putting them on and tying them up and strutting around my house like uh, I was the king I remember feeling like I'm going to fit in I'm going to be the cool kid on my campus I was so excited but and I cleaned these shoes every night. Like every night I kind of would clean them up, make sure they looked good. And I wore them for three weeks straight from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed. And then after about three weeks, I noticed something. The, the bottoms started to wear out. And they weren't wearing out super fast, but I started to know there was some wear and tear. And so I got nervous and freaked out and was like, I don't want, I got to take care of these shoes. I don't want to wear them out. So I started wearing them every other day just to protect the shoes. And then I noticed they were still wearing out, so it was turned from every other day to once a week, and then every other week. And I remember my mom, she started begging and pleading, like, you got to wear these shoes. Would you just please wear these shoes? I, I paid all this money for your shoes, and I was like, Mom, I'm, I'm taking care of them. I don't want them to wear out. i gotta, I got to keep these shoes fresh. And then one day I woke up, went to lace up my shoes, put my foot in, and they were too small. And all of a sudden, these shoes that still looked pretty new got transferred down to my little brother. And my mom was like, I told you you were going to outgrow these shoes. And my mom never, like, they never bought me another expensive pair of shoes for the rest of my life. I had to buy my own shoes from then on out. And it, it was a sad thing. But here's what I found. When resources are scarce, we tend to try to hoard them. But I've also found this, that, that things, like the things in life, the things that we like, the things that we hold on to, tend to wear out. And today we're going to look, as we're in week two, at a statement that Jesus made saying, I am the bread of life. But in this statement, he's saying, I'm so much more than just bread that, will, that you can eat and will rot or eat and be digested. I'm so much more than just this plain old bread. I, I have something eternal for you. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 6. If you don't, you can open it up on an app or there's Bibles in the back of the room um, and you can grab one of those. If not, the verses will also be up on the screen. But I want to set the stage for what's about to happen. You see, in the time of Jesus, the majority of people lived in poverty. And they, they had limited access to food, but there was two kind of common structures where you could go get bread, and that was through the government, and if you paid your taxes, sometimes they would give you bread, and then through the temple, if you followed the law, they would give you bread. But it was a time of scarcity, and there wasn't enough to really go around. And so you would have uh, the government thinking that if we have what they want, they'll do what we say to get it. And so this was kind of the mentality, and then Jesus comes along. And in walks Jesus, and he has this crowd of 5,000, and it says that he's teaching them all day. So you could imagine him teaching for 8, 9, 10 hours, which, could you imagine if I was up here for 8, 9, 10 hours? That's uh, most of you would walk out by, the, by, by 30 minutes. Um, but he, he said he was teaching for all day, and that the, the people became hungry. And the disciples are all, how are we going to get food for all these people? And so Jesus finds this boy that has two fish and two loaves of bread, and he begins to distribute, breaks the bread and says, distribute it to all the people. And it says that they handed out food to every 
person. And it wasn't just a little bit of food. It wasn't just like a filet of fish or, or a happy meal that everyone ate until they were full. And there was so much food that there was food left over at the end. Baskets upon baskets upon baskets of leftover food. And so the, the people then were really excited. And Jesus begins to pull away and he walks to the other side of the lake. And they're like, Jesus, where are you going? And that's where we pick up in verse 26. So John 6, verse 26 says this. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, what he's saying is, you aren't looking for me because I performed the miracle. You aren't looking for me because you know who I am. You're looking for me because you want more food. You're not searching for a spiritual truth. You're searching for me because you want to go home with more bread. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says he wants to give them something so much more. In verse 27, he says, Do not work for the food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. And here's what he's saying. Shoes, shoes go bad. Food goes bad. Everything wears out. Don't focus on things that aren't eternal. You're focused on something that you're going to eat and enjoy one time, and then, and then it's going to pass. Don't focus on the things that pass. Focus on the eternal and he also says in this passage that God placed his seal on him in wax or clay, and they would sometimes a ring or a stamp, and it was made out, they'd, they'd take wax or clay, and they would stamp like a letter or an object with this ring, and it was meant to signify that it was authentic. So Jesus says, God, the Father, sealed him, authentically showing that he is the Son of God. So he says, don't focus on the temporary, focus on me as the Son of God. And then he goes on and says this, they in turn asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? They're saying, I want that bread, but what do I have to do to get it? Because we oftentimes have the mentality, I've got to earn it. Like we get what we earn. And so they have this mentality of what do I got to do to earn that kind of bread? I want that. And Jesus answers this. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And I want you, if you have your Bible, underline that word, believe. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Now, he could have said anything right then. He could have told them to do anything he wanted, and they probably would have done it. But instead, Jesus takes the opportunity to say, God doesn't just provide for you because you do all the right things. He provides for you through your faith. I'll say that again. God doesn't provide for you just because you do all the right things. God is going to provide for you through your faith. He says, you can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. And I think for, if you're me or you, oftentimes we struggle with this concept of not earning something. We live in a world where if you want it, you work hard, you go get it. Or I remember even as a kid, maybe you had parents like this. My parents were really good at bribing. And so they would, they would tell me I would want baseball cards or a toy or money. And they'd be like, if you want these baseball cards, then you've got to go clean your room for a month. Or if you want this toy you got to go mow the lawn. If you want money, do the dishes for a week. And everything was earned. And maybe for you it was very similar where you earned. Or today you even think about how we work to earn. And Jesus says there's no earning this. This kind of bread, this eternal kind of bread, you can't work hard enough. There's nothing you can do. It is all strictly through faith. And then he goes on in verse 47. We'll skip a few verses ahead. And Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. Now, that, that verse right there is a reference to the book of Exodus, which is one of the early books in the Bible. And it's in reference to the Israelites. They were, they were slaves to the Egyptians. And they were finally set free from the Egyptians. And maybe you've heard of the story of the parting of the Red Sea. That's where that takes place. There's plagues, and then the Egyptians let them loose, and then they chase them after them. And the Red Sea parts, and then it, the Israelites make it through. It collapses on the Egyptians. Egyptians, and they're set free to wander through the desert for 40 years until they find the promised land. And in that time, you have millions of people that are searching for food, and the way that they got food was this thing that they called manna from heaven. It was the best way they could describe it, and it was literally a bread-like substance that would fall from the sky outside their tents in the middle of the night, and they'd wake up and they So if you collected for a week's worth of manna, it would spoil overnight. So you could only collect day uh, of And so they were dependent on God for food every single day. And they became dependent, realizing God will provide food every day. And so Jesus says, your ancestors ate that manna in the wilderness, yet they still died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Here's what he's saying is, through me, through this bread of life, through your faith in me, you get access to eternity. But not only do you get access to eternity, you get full access to the living God. That when you eat this bread, this, when you put your faith in Jesus, that you get this unlimited access all the way up to the throne of God. Stop and think about that for a second. Through Jesus, when you put your faith, you don't just get access into heaven. You get full access to God himself. That is unbelievable. In fact, as I was thinking about it this week, it it reminded me of a baseball game I went to a couple years ago. Um, I'm, now, I'm a diehard Dodgers fan, like um, some of you guys in here are. Um, I live in, in Angel Country out in South Orange County, so I'm, I'm very much not, well, I'm very much alone out there. So, um, but I'm diehard. I grew up listening to Vin Scully call games every night during the summer. Um, I bleed Dodger blue. I watch almost every game that's on TV. Uh, my, my wife lets me, in fact, my wife is a Dodgers fan, which is like, I think the hottest thing about her, so she will, there's nothing hotter than when she's like, we need a date night at Dodger Stadium, and I'm like, yes, we do. Um, that sounds fantastic, and so um, I just, I love, I love baseball and everything about the Dodgers, and I remember one day, my mother-in-law called me up, and, she, and it was playoffs time. Dodgers were playing the Braves. It was a game, they were about to play a game where they could clinch the division series, and so my mother-in-law calls me up and says, Mike, do you and a friend want tickets to the game? And I was like, well, yes. And she's like, well, I got ticket, like, I'm buying tickets for myself and for my father-in-law. And, and I just, I, I decided I would pay for your guys' tickets and your parking if you wanted to go. And so uh, some people talk about their mother-in-law or father-in-law and they like talk bad about them or they say like, oh, they're rough or they have the, you see it in movies and TV shows all the time. My, my mother-in-law loves me enough to buy me Dodger tickets. And so <laughs> she, so I tell her, of course we want to go. And we live out in Orange County and she lives uh, in a different county. And so we decided to meet at Dodger Stadium and I show up and I'm just 
pumped to be at the game. Doesn't matter where the seats are, it's playoff baseball. And so I show up in our section and we're not in the best of seats, but we're not in the worst of seats. Like we're not all the way up, but they're good enough seats. Like they're free seats, so who's gonna gripe? So here's a picture of the seats that we were in um, at the time. They're not bad seats, they're not great seats, um, but I, they were okay seats. And so we were excited to be at the game. And as I'm walking into the section, I can see, and I get to the row, I can see my mother and father-in-law, their friends, and then there's two people sitting in the seats that are supposed to belong to us. And so I look at my friend Matt and I'm like, oh my gosh, because it's one of my pet peeves is like having to walk up to someone and be like, I think you're in my seats and have them like pull out their ticket and pretend like they don't know they're in the wrong seats. And so we have to play that game or dance that dance. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. But I, so I start walking down the row and before I even get to them, the guy goes, excuse me, are these your seats? And I'm like, yes, they are. And he goes, okay, good. I've been waiting for you to get here. And I'm like, what is up? And he's, he's talking to this girl behind me, and then, or this girl behind him, and then me. And he says, I messed up. And you see, my wife, this is my wife and her friend, and this is my friend. And we, we asked our wives if they wanted to go to the game. They said yes. We asked them if they, like, where they went there. And so now our wives are upset because we're not sitting with them. So if there's any way that, like, you can help a brother out by switching seats, like, that would be unbelievable. You would save me. Like, you'd save my marriage. And I, I looked at the guy, and I, he could tell that I was getting a no ready because, like, I'm sitting with my in-laws. And, and he says, before you say anything, my seats are actually pretty good. They're down field level if you want them. And so I did what you should do in that situation, which is look at your mother-in-law, make sure she's okay with it before you say, yes, I want field-level seats. And she was like, go for it. So I swapped seats, and I remember I swapped the tickets and thought, oh, my gosh, these tickets are going to go, like, they're going to be no good. I'm going to get over to the section. Now he's got my tickets. They're going to be like, these are not good tickets, and then remove us from the field or something like that's going to happen. And we get over to the stairs, and the guy says, I need your tickets. So we hand over the tickets. And he goes, you can go down. And my friend and I, Matt, he, we begin like skipping down the stairs to get to the lower level. And we get to the next level and the guy says, I got to check your tickets before you go any farther. We hand him our tickets and he looks at them and he goes, you can keep going. And we go down one more level. We get to the field level and we start looking for the section we're supposed to be in. And we find it. And the person at the front of the row says, I got to check your tickets. And they check our tickets and they go, you can go through. And we begin looking aisle after aisle and they, they don't seem to line up with any of like with our tickets. And so I don't know where our seats are supposed to be. And we get to the front, and then there's this bar and, like, another walkway. And it leads to seats that are padded and tables and all of this. And there's a woman standing there, and she goes, you, you cannot go past here. I need your tickets. And so I pull out my tickets, and she looks at them and goes, I'm sorry, sir. Let me walk you to your seats. And walks us all the way up to the front. This is where my seats ended up being. Here's a picture of where my seats were um, at the end. Um, and I remember she walked up, the, another woman walks up, drops off a menu and uh, says, I'll be back to take your order. And I look at the menu. There's no prices on the menu. So I'm thinking, I don't want to buy a $50 hot dog. So when she comes back, I'm like, how much is the items uh, on this menu? Because there's no prices. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. It's all included in the ticket. It's already been paid for. So I'm like, I'll take five hot dogs and, and I'll take three Cokes and you can just line them all up right here on this table that's in front of me. 
Um, and I was, it was a great game. I was looking at my friend Matt, and I was like, this is like the perfect, this never happens. It's the perfect game. If only the Dodgers were winning. And it was two to one, Braves. And I'm like, this thing would be so great. And it's the bottom of the eighth. Dodgers get a runner on first. And all of a sudden, Juan Uribe, the Dodgers third baseman, comes up, fakes a bunt, and like misses it up, comes back, next pitch, cracks a home run over the left field fence. Dodgers go up three to two. We are high-fiving people. We have no idea who they are. They're yelling and screaming. We are going nuts. The Dodgers close out the game one, two, three in the ninth. Cannons fire off streamers over the top of us onto the field. We are screaming and yelling and jumping and celebrating. And we watch. We're standing up against that wall watching as the Dodger players are in the clubhouse and they're shooting champagne and celebrating and, and, and all of that. And then all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. They come out and they beeline it for us. And they begin spraying us with champagne and high-fiving us and cheering with us. And I'm like high-fiving and talking to Clayton Kershaw and Yasiel Puig, which, if you know, the Dodgers are some of their top players. And I'm like, this is, un this is unbelievable. Like, when does this ever happen? This never happens to me. Like, and all of a sudden, this one day, these two guys that had no business, never, could never afford those tickets, didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, just happened to be in the right place at the right time, got unbelievable access to an unbelievable game. And that's what Jesus says happens when we eat this bread. He says, when you eat this bread, you can take your ticket and swap it with mine, and you get to keep walking and walking and walking right up to the throne of Jesus. You, keep to, you get to keep going right up to the very throne of Jesus. See, sometimes I think what we, what we believe is that we need something from God. I need something from God, but we don't need something from God. We need God. We don't need, so, at the end of the day, we don't need just something from God. We need God. And through Jesus, we get full access to him. And I think oftentimes we ask God for the temporary, for the, the food, the shoes, the phones, the cars, the homes. And all of those things are temporary. And it's not that God doesn't want to meet our physical needs. He cares deeply about our physical needs. But he cares about more than just your physical needs. See, most of the things I found that I pray about don't matter in five years. And I'd be willing to bet that it's very similar for you as well. I can't even remember what I was praying about five years ago. And in this culture, to give someone bread was to give someone life. And Jesus says, I don't want to just, like the Israelites, give you bread to last for a day or two. I want to give you something that will last for eternity. I want something that is so much more than just a transaction. I want something relational for you. See, Jesus doesn't want to just meet your need. Jesus wants to meet the need behind your need. I'll say that again. Jesus doesn't want to just meet the need that you have. He wants to meet the need behind the need. And in John 4, just a few chapters earlier, in verse 31, it says this, Meanwhile, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? So you can imagine the scene. They're like, Jesus, you need to eat. You haven't eaten all day. And he's like, I've got food you know nothing about. And they're like, who the heck brought you food? Like, we've been alone all day. And then Jesus says, this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And it's not that Jesus didn't need physical food. But he knew that the deeper need was spiritual food. That spiritual food was sustaining way better than any physical food ever could. That spiritual food is a deep sense 
of connection to God. It's his love and acceptance of you. It is living out his purpose for your life. And that is what I think all of us deeply desire more than anything else. To be known and loved by God. To be accepted for who we are. And to live out his purpose in our lives. You see, eating is kind of personal, but it's also social. You can eat as a group. But the thing I found is you can't force someone to eat. Uh, And I know this because I've got a six-year-old that lives on only corn dogs. She can't get them to eat a vegetable for the life of me. We asked her to eat half of a green bean one time, and she almost threw up. It was so sad to watch. But uh, at the same time, I was like, you need to eat this. you got to learn to eat this. And I don't know how many times we've had a meal where it's like, I just want to open up your mouth and force you to eat this food. But Jesus says, I can't force you. I'm not going to force you. If you're in this room today and you're like, I have my doubts about Jesus, no one's going to force you. No one's going to force you to put your faith. But here it is. Here's what I do know. When we put our faith in Jesus, we get an unbelievable gift. And when we simply believe, there's nothing you can do, nothing we can act upon other than put our faith. When we put our faith in him, we get unlimited access to God. Some of us in this room might be thinking like, but I've got some real physical needs, and that's okay. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So here's what I want to challenge us with. Maybe today you're in this room and you just, maybe you stumbled your way in. Maybe you just heard about this place online or maybe a friend invited you. Um, That's all great. We're glad you're here. But maybe today what you need is just to take a bite of that bread of life. Maybe for you it's just taking that step to say, I'm going to put some faith in Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. For all of us in this room, whether you're a Jesus follower or or not, my, my challenge to us would be this. Have you really accepted and known that you have access? Do you live like you have full access to the very throne of God? Is your life lived in such a way that you know and you live out this access to, to the full throne of God? You see, I think if we fully encapsulated that, if we fully believed that to the core of our being, that we had this kind of access, I think we'd pray bolder. I think our lives would be bolder. I think our lives might look a little bit different. So my hope and my prayer is that today, as we leave this place, that we leave different. We leave empowered, being reminded that the living God is present with us right now. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank. 